Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Jerry and Bob. We are One New Man Ministries. We're an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles. That's Christians, believers in Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ is our Lord, our Savior, our salvation. Because as Ephesians 2 says in 13 and 14, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace and his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. So our hope and prayers that by studying the Old Testament together with the New Testament, the New Covenant, from a point of view of Yeshua's Yeshua, salvation, that we can see how the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, and it's all God's plan for redeeming us and making us into one people, one body of Christ, and building a dwelling place for the Lord. And so, Jerry, what are we studying today? We're going to be looking at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, in Hebrew, it's called Devarim, which is the Hebrew word for words. Uh, the book is understood by the sages as the second law or the second Torah. And so when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, Deuteronomy uh, means second law. And so that's why the book is named the way we have it in our English Bibles. But as I said, in uh, Hebrew, it's called Devarim, the words. And when you look at Deuteronomy, uh, you understand this is a book uh, in which Moses is talking to the people. He's giving his final address, uh, you know, kind of like uh, people saying goodbye. Uh, what's the last thing you want to leave on people's minds? Uh, that's, that's how this book shapes up in, 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 in terms like that. I want to point out also, though, that uh, this Thursday we come to the end of a three-week time of mourning in Jewish tradition. Um, Thursday is the ninth day of the month of Av on the Jewish calendar, known as Tisha B'Av. And on that day, in both 586 and in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed, first by the Babylonians, and then in 70 AD by the Romans. It concludes a three-week period that began on the 17th day of the month of Tammuz, which was the month just, a, just previous to this one. Uh, on that day, in both 586 and 70 AD, those armies came and laid siege to Jerusalem. So during this three-week period, Jews fast on both the 17th day of Tammuz, the beginning of the period, as well as on Tisha B'Av, the last day of the period. It is a time of going quietly, if I could use that euphemism. It is a time of introspection and mourning and repentance and reflection. Uh, Jews traditionally do not get married during this time uh, in, in light of the uh, mourning that's associated with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. So we want to recognize, along with all of our Jewish listeners and Jewish uh, friends, that this is a time when we recall God's judgment for our sin. But we recognize that in the aftermath of both of those events, God gave grace. After Babylon, uh, 70 years passed and we returned and a temple was built again. And after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Romans, of course, by that time, we believe as Messianic Jewish people that the great blessing of grace in Yeshua, Jesus, in his death and resurrection had come to mankind and now is being propagated throughout the ancient world. And so, as I said, following great judgment and mourning comes the grace of God and the overwhelming greater grace of God. So Amen. that kind of sets the stage, I think, for some of the things uh, you want to talk about this today, Lee, about uh, 
godly sorrow and the difference between contrition and attrition. And I think the idea was um, in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 45, this is, this is Moses uh, recounting the history of how the people rebelled against God's instruction to go into the land. They listened to the, the, uh, the, the what's the word? I can't think of the word I want, but the, the negative report of the ten spies, they wouldn't believe uh, Joshua and Caleb. They wouldn't respond to Moses' exhortation to, to go up and take, take the land. You know, he says at the beginning, God has, has given you this land, go and take possession. Yet they listened to the, the, the bad report. They, they cried because there were giants in the land, and they rebelled and said, no, we won't go. Uh, he says um, that they had responded that their brothers have made their hearts to melt and the people are greater and taller than us. And so when they refused to go, uh, they, they, were, um, they were, uh, God, God spoke out and said, well, okay, if that's the way you're going to be, nobody over 20 can go into the land. Then they were sort of like, oh, wow, we kind of made God angry. Maybe we should go up and fight. And Moses says, don't do that because God's not with you. But then they went up and they fought anyway, and they had a terrible defeat. And that leads us to that verse 145 then. After they had gone out to fight and the Lord had allowed them to be defeated, you return and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. And I think the point that you were making, Lee, was the difference between being sorry for sin and being sorry for consequences. And if I could maybe put that into context, imagine... Uh, you, you are a little boy and you found your mother's chocolate stash and you gobbled it all up and you just loved it. And when she got home, she found out and she punished you in some way, whatever was appropriate in your family back then. I probably would have got a swat on the butt. Uh, other people might have put in time out. But how were you feeling as a little boy? Were you feeling sorry that she ate the chocolate or just sorry that she got caught? Right? You were sorry for the consequence, but you weren't sorry for that for eating that chocolate. And maybe that's a little bit of the way what's going on here. What do you think? So in uh, Deuteronomy 1, uh, 21, when, um, when Moses is setting the scene here, he, he's saying <clears throat> that... Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of thy fathers, has spoken unto thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And then when they, the scouts went out and they came back and they reported the giants and the cities that were fortified. And, and in 26, he said, Yet ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to, to, to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither are we going up? Our brethren hath made our heart to melt. So, you know, the, you know Moses and the Lord says I'm giving you this land I promised you just have to you know fear not and not be dismayed and then they sent out the scouts they got a bad report and then their hearts melted so they feared and so it's really this what the condition of their heart was not trusting in God so it was a uh, a crisis of faith and when they trusted in themselves, they, they didn't have, the, they, they were paralyzed by fear, and then they murmured, and, you know, and then they were basically banned from the promised land and had to wander in the wilderness until the whole generation was wiped out. And so I think, you know, later on, and it talks about the condition of the heart, and, and the difference between being attrition is um, the, the definition is they, that 
sorrow over the consequences of sin is attrition Mm -hmm. rather than sorrow over the sin itself. So when they saw that they were being banished from the promised land, they went up and they fought anyway and they got wiped out. And they really didn't look at their heart and say, well, what what was the condition of my heart? And I think the condition of the heart is the condition of my heart frequently is, is I put more faith in myself than, you know, God and God's promises. And it's, it was a lack of ability to, to surrender in faith to God's promises and to walk in total obedience. And that's really, you know, the only way we can really have contrition over the sin itself is by submitting and humbling ourselves and and looking at when I'm not putting myself on the cross. You know, we've been talking about denying ourselves a lot in these last few weeks. And, you know, I think that that is, you know, oh, I wish that hadn't happened to me. I feel bad about the consequence. That's not, that's still an obstinate heart. Mm-hmm stubborn heart sounds like me yeah the the uh, situation is that they have failed to really trust in God which seems extraordinary to us because they had witnessed so much how how could people who had uh, lived through the angel of death passing through the land how could the people who had uh, witnessed all of the previous nine plagues? How could the people who, who witnessed the Red Sea dividing and walking over on dry land and then crashing in on Pharaoh, and it says at the end of that, that lovely, <laughs> lovely, that extraordinary verse about all the dead Egyptians on, on the seashore. Uh, how could a people who, who saw water from a rock, who saw manna coming down every day, who saw, you know, quail all of a sudden filling the whole earth uh, because they complained about uh, not, not being able to have some meat. How could people who have seen all that stumble at this point, right? And what is, is true is that we walk by faith and not by sight because the sight of things is not enough to produce the dependence that we need in God. Right. And that's a, a weird reality. Um, we've talked about this, this idea that right now, as Moses is talking, there's two different groups of people that he's addressing. He's, he's talking to the people who are, who are dying off as well as the people who are getting ready to actually go up and in, inherit the land. And he encourages that group, that second group, Uh, with these words here in chapter 2 verse 7 he says the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands he knows you're going through this great wilderness these 40 years the Lord your God has been with you you have lacked nothing and what he is doing with them is reminding them that they have enjoyed his providential supply in the wilderness you know there's there's no obvious place to to mend your clothes get new shoes you know the material it's not like they had stores where people went out and bought that stuff but just even the natural resources to to replenish those things god supplied all of that he he supplied them the food they needed the drink that they needed he has been and this this important important phrase he has been with them right and it's the withness of God that calls forth faith. And if we don't appreciate his, his withness, to, 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 to kind of coin a word here, then we're not going to have the faith that's required when we are confronted with the battle in front of us, when we're confronted with the giants who are, who are in the land. And so... Clearly, it's, it's always a, a question of what's in our heart and what is the, the content of our faith and the level of our faith. You know, 
and you know, th- and, and and you think about these this generation that did witness the parting, you know, the the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and these miracles, and you go and you said, well, how could they not have faith in God? But they're that where we are born into uh, a world of sin we are born into sin and we have habits that develop and habits of thinking habits of emotion they were born into slavery physical slavery where their authority was the pharaoh and you know the 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 egyptians and you know you're you were asking them to make a radical transformation and you pointed out there's this difference between reformation and transformation which is sort of similar to the difference between attrition and contrition if you really look beneath it because they were they you were you know they were being asked to make this radical transformation and total submission to God and they just couldn't you know, they kept going, oh, well, let's go back to Egypt. We had it so good there. You know? <laughs> they, they just couldn't do it. It took them dying out and this new generation wandering in the wilderness to take the yoke and the bit of obedience and being led by God and submitting to God and being trained by God when they didn't <clears throat> submit to suffer the punishments to really conform them into a people that could enter the promised land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think looking at all this, I think God, you know, looking at the history, that he promised this to Abraham, but it's the best of all lands. He had the very best in mind for Israel. And they won't go into a place that, that the infrastructure is already in place, the vineyards are planted, the fruit, the fruit farms are there, the cisterns are already dug. It's a place that God had been preparing for them for many years. So I think knowing that the, uh, fe- the Heavenly Father that we have wants the very best for us, it's just our compliance and obedience sometimes gets in the way. Yeah, and, and it's not that different than our walk as, you know, believers in Yeshua, you know, that we, you know, we, we have, uh, we're, we're justified, but then in by his death on the cross and the once and for all atonement but the the walk of sanctification is a it's a progressive walk right and we frequently relapse and and we're learning to walk in the spirit and to trust and and deepen our faith and trust in God's provision and in his and and spirits providing and to accept and surrender to what and what happens when we walk in obedience and to get beyond ourselves it's not that different than what he's showing us about the old man which was the Mm -hmm. old generation and the new man which is the new generation absolutely isn't that the point continually in the old covenant when paul says these things happen to them as an example for us right it's always that in some ways, Israel Israel is presented to us in, in the Old Testament as like the the litmus test for all of humanity. Correct. Right. The, here, here's here's what humans are like. Israel. We are um, bitter and complaining and murmuring. We all want to do our thing instead of God's thing. And th- this really gets back to that business about about um, you know why they were able, why why they failed to go having seen it all it, it isn't a question of what you've seen it's what you want to believe do you really want to submit to God or do you want to be the God of your own life and that's always the question to all of mankind as a, as a collective, as well as to us as individuals, that we are all called as creatures of the Creator to submit to the Creator, and every creature uh, has to make that 
choice whether they are in fact going to be in submission to their maker. I, I don't know who said it. it was, I, I've heard this a couple different times now. The idea is some debate with an atheist, and the question came up uh, whether whether uh, he would believe it if it was if it was true. Um, that, I, I don't think I'm framing it exactly as correct, but he said something about the evidence. I, I see the evidence, but I don't want it to be true. You know, so so when when the argument for God's existence and God's claim over our lives was made to this person, he said something to the effect, uh, you, you know, I, I I can see that I I can mentally assent to it, but I don't want it to be true. Why? Because in the end, as humans, we are not inclined to bow the knee to God. Right, and so that's where 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 these Israelites that generation failed. They refused to trust their their uh, fears took hold they decided they knew better than God right and, you know that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve they they knew better than God oh this fruit will be okay because that 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 serpent said so <laughs> <laughs> and now here they are uh, ten, ten guys say there's giants in the land and we, we, we can't make it and you know <clears throat> The reason that this is similar to us is what we've already said, that, that th these people are, are, are like a litmus test for all of humanity. But I th think that we can look at this verse in verse 21. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. That we can, instead of land there as new covenant followers of Yeshua, we can plug in that verse in Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's verse 3, you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is the land, if you will, that God has given to us in Messiah. And what he is saying to us is all of these spiritual blessings in heavenly places, we could may maybe stop and pick out a few of them, and there's so many, but certainly the the idea that the Holy Spirit himself has come to reside in us, mm -hmm. that Yeshua has been made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and salvation, the uh, promise of God to, to be with us, never abandon us, the, the, the promise of God that we are being progressively changed into the image of Messiah, all, the, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places have been given to us in Yeshua. And so now, by faith, we're called to go in and take possession, right? And that's the place where these folks are at. The first group failed because of a lack of faith. And this is an idea that's picked up in the Hebrews letter. Remember, take care that none of you fails to enter because we see that they didn't enter because of disobedience right their faith failed them so we're always in this place of needing to walk by faith and not by sight because there's lots in life that looks like giants to us right uh -huh. and, and and you know you point out hebrews and it says that yeshua came to overcome the anxiety of the fear of death mm -hmm. and if you really peel back anxiety at the bottom, at the root of it all, is fear of death. And what does he say there in 21? He says, when he's talking about go in and take possession of the land, he says, fear not, fear not. neither be dismayed. And so, you know, the, the, the impediment, the blocker to entering the promised land is anxiety, is fear, and it's, you know, for them, it's anxiety and fear of the giants and the, you know, the fortified cities and the strongholds of the enemy, right? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and they're in there that they, they might, their kids might be in danger and they're murmuring and stuff about it. But, you know, for us, when we really understand that we've been resurrected 
with Yeshua. That when we when we take up our cross and we submit ourselves, our pride, our will for, you know, ourselves, that we use our will to benefit ourselves, our will to submit, we change our will, we submit to God in contrition and in obedience, and we are resurrected into the new man then we can enter the promised land. Well, what's the land he, that he promises? He promises eternal life because he is life. Mm-hmm. He came to overcome the anxiety, the fear of death, because he overcame death. And death entered through Adam, and he is overcome through Yeshua. And that is the real promised land and it is the land that when we are being trained through 40 years mm-hmm. in the wilderness of obedience and submission, that that should be our heavenly goal, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, what, what, what did Philippians say? The upward... Uh, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Yes. Yeah. So would you say that um, spiritually speaking or typologically speaking in some way that Yeshua is the land yes yeah. the He's land eternal he if 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 we started in the garden of eden and the and heaven for Jews is the garden of eden right it's like this return to garden of eden and that's when we are in communion with god there's no separation and there's no death mhm that is Yeshua, right? That is Yeshua. Well, we just so happen to talk about the Garden of Eden, the way things were. Uh, my wife and I happened to be reading Isaiah chapter 11 this morning. And let me just flip there real quickly because this is what will happen when Yeshua restores all things. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow. So that's that's the future that Yeshua is bringing when he returns to establish his kingdom on earth. But we are called now as his followers to enter into uh, the at least the beginnings of those things. We have not arrived at the place where I would want to encourage anybody to put their hand over the cobra's uh, hole, but <clears throat> we don't see cows and bears grazing together yet. But we do see the fruit of peace and reconciliation as human beings come together as one new man in Christ. One of the, one of the things that I always liked about the picture of this one new man uh, and this idea of reconciling and peace, uh, I attended a small church in Chicago. So here's this Messianic Jew in this little Baptist church. And one of the other members was a Muslim from Pakistan who had come to faith in Jesus. And whatever differences existed before in the flesh, whatever animosities there might have been, were completely dissolved in the blessings of Yeshua. That's, that's what we're called to enter into now. And that's our calling as One New Man Ministries, too, isn't it? To, to preach that one word that brings people together, that levels us all, that makes us all the same before God the way that he, he made us. You know, our declaration says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are, all men are created equal. Equal, right? That there's a creator who made human beings, and he blessed them with all of the same inherent rights and privileges as his creatures we threw that away through sin and so we all share in that rejection of our blessing like Esau right 
We're all equal in that, no matter where on the globe we're found. And God's solution is Yeshua. Mm. God's solution is dealing with the sin that affects all of us equally with the equal payment of the one perfect sacrifice. So the cross is the great leveler. The cross says you really are equal. You are equal in sin. You are equal in guilt. You are equal in culpability. You are equal in deserving judgment. But through the cross, you are all equal in being able to be reconciled to God, in being able to come into God's family, receive God's blessing, God's forgiveness, God's sanctification, God's... It is. You know, and, and... And can I share something personal? So as a Messianic Jew, and and Jerry, Jerry, you know, found Yeshua very early in his life. For me, as a Messianic Jew, it was a harder struggle for me to overcome the dividing wall of hostility. You know, I was on the Jewish side of that dividing wall and never had read the New Testament, you know, thought that Christians... You know, Christianity, Christendom had, you know, persecuted Jews, the Inquisition, the Holocaust, a lot of stuff I had to overcome. One of the things I had to overcome was the idea of communion. I could just never, I never understood, you know, this wafer wine, you know, communion. And this weekend I was taking communion and it just, man, it hit me like a Mack truck that, that, first of all, to our Jewish brothers and sisters, when Jesus instituted the sacrament of communion, it was at a Passover Seder, and he did it to his Jewish brothers that were his disciples. And, and he said take this bread, you know, the matzah, because it would have been matzah, you know, it was Passover, unleavened bread. This represents my body broken for you. And when you eat it, think of me. And this wine represents my blood spilt for you. My blood, his blood that cleanses my sin spilt for me. And that when you take this bread, this matzah, and this wine, that you are mystically joined with the body of Christ. I'm joined with a Pakistani Muslim. I'm joined with my friend from Myanmar, you know, with Korean Christians, with Chinese Christians, with we are all joined together as one new man in the body of Christ through the sacrament of communion it is a powerful Mm -hmm. sacrament and done with the right intention it's supernatural it has supernatural power it absolutely does i would go a little bit further than what you said you said the bread represents his body and the wine represents his blood he actually doesn't say this represents he says this is my body. This is my blood. Remember when he first brought it up in John chapter 6, that was the hard saying that made everybody want to leave because in the Jewish mind and, you know, in the natural mind, it sounds like he's advocating cannibalism. And of course, that's, that's been one of the charges against the church from the Jewish side uh, because he did take that strong of a connection that this is my body what I like to think about during communion is the idea that we start with a complete whether some churches use unleavened bread others use a loaf you start with a complete piece of bread and you break it up into the pieces and that as the individual members take that piece we are reconstituting that loaf in its wholeness Mm. Isn't that good? That, that the body of human believers, as we take in Yeshua, 
we are making him whole in our presence. If, you know, and again, we're talking about something very mystical, but I agree that's where the power is. That's why it is so powerful when, when we really understand that what we're doing here in this locale is being replicated all over the world. And this, this body of, of Messiah that, that includes not just the people of here and now, but of all time. Because when we look at Romans 6, and he talks about you were baptized with Christ into his death as well as his resurrection, God's framework is that the body was fully constituted then in, 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 its, in, in, in its wholeness. That everyone who was known before the salvation of the world, right, is now in Christ, being raised with him, dying with him, being raised with him. And so that there is this eternal, well, I don't know about eternal, but... <laughs> Again, hard to think in terms of, of how God sees it all, but there is this timeless connection then between uh, all the believers of all time and also in some sense a spaceless connection because I'm connected to believers here in Virginia Beach as well as in Beijing, China, right? And it's this, this, this one new man that we talk about this body of Christ, that when people come into it, whatever identity they had prior to faith in Christ, that has all been, I don't want to say obliterated, but it has been certainly demoted, uh, replaced, let me put it that way, with a new identity. And there are some things about our prior identity that we really need to jettison that cannot be part of who we are now. If you were a liar, you can't be a liar anymore. If you were a murderer, you can't be a murderer anymore. If you were an adulterer, you can't be an adulterer. And Paul even says that to the Corinthians when he lists that off, uh, all that long list of, of heinous crimes. And then he says, and such were some of you. So that part of identity goes. But part of our identity still remains because we can't avoid the accidents of our upbringing and the accidents of our birth and where we are and the skills that God put in us so that there's this, this new overarching identity, if I could put it that way, the identity of, of Christ, the identity of Messiah we've been given in the one new man. And now those, those things that are unique to my identity in terms of skills, personality, things like that, that God now takes and perfects them underneath Messiah, which is why we can be one, but not the same. Amen. So, so Ephesians 2, we're in Ephesians 2 ministry, one new man ministry, 17 through 21. So he came, that's Yeshua, and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure, that's us believers, is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for mm -hmm. God. So I think that is the promised land that we're being called into, to not fear and dismay, to be bold and courageous, to trust in God, to believe in God, to have faith. And I think communion is a powerful sacrament and powerful expression of that faith that brings us all together into a dwelling place for God, together spiritually mm -hmm. into a dwelling place for God through Yeshua HaMashiach. And, you know, I, I just, you know, the, with the, the way some churches are, they don't do communion or they do it once a quarter or maybe once a month or it's lost something about the power in 
the ability to transform us because when we take that bread and that wine in when he when we take his body and his blood into our body and our blood it is how we are being built together into one mm-hmm. and one thing i like to bring up he removed the hostility you know hostility between uh, the jewish and god gentile and god and gentile and, and jew he removed all of that so he could instill his love in us amen um not sure where we go from there <laughs> uh i think one thing that we talked about in, uh, about communion and maybe kind of bringing it back to uh, uh, our earlier discussion and that is uh in in liturgical churches the uh, communion is sort of the goal of the worship service taking communion and part of the uh journey towards communion is a specific time given to confession. And this may tie into Paul's warning about uh, the, to the Corinthians about uh, having taken the, 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 the communion unworthily, uh, not respecting the body, and that some of them have, have gotten sick and have even died. And I think the important part there is uh, not respecting the body and I think he's talking there about other believers within the body, uh, either in the one case, it seemed that there were rich Christians who were having a great big feast and barring the poorer Christians from participating and then taking communion at the end of that was, was common, these love feasts. So there was, there was that. Then there was the not, not respecting the body part uh, in the sense that they wouldn't discipline the man in the... Uh, public sin, having sexual relations with his his stepmother, that they weren't respecting the body. They were still doing the communion thing, but they were really in some very specific ways desecrating the body, the body of Christ, as understood by the individual members, the human beings that make up the members of the body of Christ. And so preparing for communion then in the in in liturgical services is is involves confession yeah and and you know i mean so to our listening audience because i'm a messianic too i haven't i've gone to a lot of different christians you know uh churches and now i'm going to an episcopal one so i was sharing with jerry that there's this you know peace you know, there's not just confession, and then there's you know communion, and you you explain what the peace is, and and I thought I thought that was so powerful because it goes directly to what Jesus mm-hmm. told us to do. So tell us what that peace. Well, part, well, part of part of the liturgical service then is this moment called passing the peace. And in a lot of places, passing the peace has now become get up and go shake somebody's hand. But when it was first conceived as part of our our progression towards taking communion together, uh, it was conceived of going to a brother that you might be out of joint with and make peace with that brother before taking the body because when we don't do that we are kind of doing what the corinthians did we are not having respect for the body and and jesus told us before what, what's the scripture where it says before you repent yeah i'm not sure the actual reference but in the gospels it talks about if you are bringing your your offering uh and you re- remember that your brother has something against you leave it immediately and go make peace with your brother right Right. And so, you know, this whole idea of communion is not uh, outside of what we're reading in, in Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy 2, uh, 30, this is about Sion, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pi- pass by him. For the Lord thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into thy hand as appears this day 
and and under the commentary of hardening his spirit it says similar to the phrase used to pharaoh see exodus 7 3 the meaning is as god rules so to him must be traced all that happens in the world and some since all acts whether good or bad all agencies whether beneficent or destructive have their source and derive their power from him but nevertheless men have moral responsibility for their for their acts and are fully and justly conscious of ill desert it is to be known that god is never said to harden the heart of a good man it is always those who are guilty of acts of evil doing upon whom this works so you know we all being sinners have this relationship with sin and 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 conscience and good conscience we either can be humble ourselves submit and be contrite and repent and confess and prepare our heart to accept the grace of god through the body and blood of jesus christ through communion and in that way enter into the mystical body into this peace that comes the mm-hmm. shalom that comes from that or we can harden our hearts we can you know uh be attrition well i didn't like the concept i feel bad about the consequences of that sin but e- every choice every decision moves us one way or the other that's what c.s lewis said mm-hmm. and you know we have to continually humble ourselves submit repent and draw near to God and and James says God will draw near to you resist the devil and he will flee yes I was just thinking of the uh, command that comes up several times in Deuteronomy that God tells them they should circumcise their hearts but literally it's not possible for them to do that it's not possible for you and me to do that we need the great surgeon if you will um, and that's one of the interesting things in uh, in Deuteronomy then uh, they're commanded to do it in a couple of different places but then in chapter 30 when Moses is talking about all that's going to happen to them and it seems uh, when you read it that Moses is predicting that they're going to be dispossessed from the land twice but in chapter 30 uh, after all of these things have come to pass, here's what he says. Chapter 30? Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Okay. I'm sorry. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So the commandment back in chapter 6, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, was a commandment they couldn't keep unless the Lord had done something in their hearts first. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah talks about. Uh, It won't be written on tablets of stone, but I will write it on your hearts. This is the glory of the new covenant that Paul talks about in, in Corinthians, that, that uh, God has written it not on tablets of stone, but on f- hearts of flesh. The circumcised heart is the heart that's been born again through faith in Yeshua. Amen. And you know, the, the last verse of this Parsha, which is Deuteronomy 3.22, it says, Ye shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you. Because we are in a spiritual war. You know, we're, we, you know, that it, when, when James says resist the devil and he will flee, mm-hmm. we need God fighting for us. And, and we need to believe and have faith that God will fight for us in this spiritual war. And, you know, and, and, and it, sa- it makes it sound like, you know, oh, this is a physical war. But back then, 
you know, there was a commentary when it was talking about how they killed the men, the women, the children. And it was war in that time was a sacred act. And, you know, it, this wasn't just, oh, now the ruler is, you know, the Israelites instead of the Amorites. Well, it's now, no, the ruler is the God, the one God, the God of Israel versus the Amorites with their idols, you know. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a spiritual war. You know, God is warned against the false idols, you know, that we build in our lives. And it's a war that's 24-7, and I believe the mind is the battlefield. That's the battle lines. And I think that's why Paul talks to, tells us to renew our minds every day for this battle that we have to confront. And how, how do you go about renewing your mind every day? Every morning I, I read, and, and Lynette reads, my wife reads, and we come together and, and discuss. Read the Bible? Yes, mm -hmm. every morning. And we have a one-a-day Bible that I read every morning that, that pulls everything together, I think, for me. But it's still a battle. Mm -hmm. And Jerry, you know, you have so much scripture in your in your mind, in your memory. It's got to be an incredible shield of faith against the fl the flaming darts of the enemy, you know? The gr one of the greatest blessings of my life was uh, I attended a Bible school and for a year and a half there was a dedicated class <laughs> to scripture memory and the, uh, the benefit of that is, is incalculable. Your wife, I know, and mine both attended Awana clubs which emphasize scripture memory and both of them will, will attest to the same thing, that that creates such a foundation that you don't even realize until you're in a moment and just suddenly the Spirit will pop something in your mind, some verse that you memorized from long, long ago, and there it is when you need it. And so I can't encourage people enough not just to read, but to really try to memorize Scripture. Don't, don't make some huge goal for yourself that's unattainable, but... You know, take a verse or two. <clears throat> if it takes you a week to memorize them, that's okay. But to really lay hold of those things and have them in your heart. You know, um, it talks about meditating on the Word. Uh, and that word meditate really is the idea of, of quiet murmuring, saying the same thing over and over to yourself. Uh, and so what he's really encouraging there is that we have some piece of God's word that we are continually saying to ourselves that whether we understand how it does this, that's not the important thing. We just accept, I take my vitamins in the morning. I don't know how they work, <laughs> but I take them because they're good for me. And in the same way, that the, the, the scripture that we can say to ourselves over and over and over again is just like those vitamins. They build us up in our inner man. That's, that's what our inner man feeds on. That what's, that's what makes him strong. And, you know, <clears throat> Paul, Paul says to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So... For all of us living in America today, the accessibility of Scripture, the almost 100% literacy rate that we have, these are unheard of for, you know, going back hundreds of years, where people had to access the Word through listening to people, and, and even then it wasn't it was only available when you went to the church to hear the preacher preach it. It's not like it's turned on the radio. And yet, people found a way to be saturated with God's Word. We need to have that same urgency about God's Word and getting it into us. And quite honestly, because we have so much available to us, we're going to be held the more accountable. 
right? Mm-hmm. right? To whom much is given, much is required. Well, we've been given a lot of scripture. We've been given, and forget all of all of the tools and all of the the resources in terms of books and 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 media and YouTube videos. I mean, you can turn on YouTube and see any great preacher that you want today. You can even hear Charles Spurgeon's sermons read to you. <laughs> Going back to the 1800s, you know, Spurgeon is the is the great uh, prince of the preachers, as they called him. God's word is is. You know, let's let's start with Yeshua. He is the living word. And the written word is God's expression to us. It is life to us. It is the life that keeps us going. So the uh, the idea about God is on our side and God is fighting for us in in the Psalms David cries out in Psalm 118 verse 5, "Out of my distress I called on Yahweh." And I like to substitute God's name there because in in English printing, it looks like capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And we just say the Lord. And we don't really get the the strength of the actual Hebrew idea of God's actual name, which we've talked about before. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, overflowing with steadfast love, slow to anger, that whole glorious name. So I like to substitute Yahweh in there because in the section that we are reading, it is going to keep on using this phrase, Yahweh, your God, distinguishing them from other groups of people who have other gods, right? Yahweh, your God. Out of my distress, I called on Yahweh. Yahweh answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Yahweh is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. So coming back to that idea of spiritual warfare, this is who we're talking about. He's on our side. He talks about the the warfare in a different way in Ephesians, right? He talks about taking on the full armor of God, but when you look at that armor, what what is it really? He gives us a, a visual picture of truth, righteousness, salvation, faith, Peace, the, 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 having your feet shod with the sandals of peace. He gives us these... And these, the sword of the Spirit, well, which and is finally the Word. Getting, <laughs> finally getting to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So he gives us this, this very physical picture of the Roman soldier and his battle gear, but he spiritualizes it to teach us what, is our spirit, what are our spiritual weapons. And, and it's just so, so wonderful then when we... Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, right? Why? Because we war not against flesh and blood, but against the dark forces of, in heavenly places. Our weapons, Paul talks about in Corinthians, are mighty to the pulling down of the strongholds of the imagination. And this is what you said, Bob, the battles in the mind. Israel lost the battle because in their minds the giants were too big and they couldn't see that god god was on their side he is their helper he'll lead them in triumph eve lost the battle eve lost the battle absolutely and we're all in danger of losing that battle when we're not rightly oriented to god through his word which brings us back to kind of what we were just talking about then. How do we, how do we come about being transformed in our minds? What, what were you saying before we started about the first psalm? You said something really interesting about that, that the people who put the order of the psalms together mm-hmm. and the, go ahead, tell, tell the audience what you were saying about Well, the psalms, the book of psalms as we have it is a collection and it's been edited to appear in a certain order, right? And when you read through it, if you're looking carefully, you'll see there's book one, there's book two, book three, book four, book five. And if you read some introductions to the Psalms, you'll see that there's within each of those collections, there's these five collections then, uh, there, there are some themes that, that are recurrent. But as a, a uh, heading to the whole book, let me put it that way, they chose Psalm 1 
to talk about the blessings of the man who does not associate himself with sinners or sit with scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And this is what I was talking about earlier, this meditating on God's law. In God's law he meditates. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters. His leaves will not wither. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Right? They have no substance. They have no root. You start to tie this with so many things that Yeshua said. Um, you know, he talks about the seed that, that doesn't develop a root and it just blows away. The good seed, the, the seed on the rocky ground, etc. The evil, the people who do not live in, drink in, subsist on God's word, become like the chaff that the wind drives away. And for those of us who are urban people, uh, chaff is that part of the wheat that when they harvest it all, uh, that's like the dust that's collected in between the good stuff. And they throw it up in the air, and the, and the good wheat settles down, and the wind takes the dust away. You know, and... and in distinction to this type of mindfulness meditation that's being pushed on people as you know the 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 treatment for anxiety Mm -hmm. you know where they're not telling you to meditate on the word of god and to meditate on the truth that is there you know and and when people meditate and they empty their mind they're at risk for you know, in the realm of the, of spiritual warfare, they're at risk for bad influences to come in, and so you know there there is, and all and there has been for a long time, and the idea of biblical meditation, meditating on the Word, and I think, like you said, as a first Psalm, that is a highlight of what makes the man good mm-hmm. he meditates on mm-hmm. the law day and night and 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 so you know we encourage our listeners and ourselves you know to read the word to be in the mm-hmm. word to discuss the word with other people to learn from amen. the word that's what we're doing here amen, amen. and like paul did uh or, or Luke wrote about the uh, people in Berea. You know, we're, we're sitting here, we're having a great time talking to one another about the word, but we want to encourage you to be like the Bereans who searched those things out to see if they were so. They searched the scriptures themselves to see if those things were so. That's really, you know, we love getting together to talk about Yeshua, to talk about the word and how it all points to him, but we would really like you to to search that yourselves, to to uh, read God's word, to uh, participate in his story. It's that glorious story. We, we want to, again, draw that big picture. Our, our loving creator made a beautiful, perfect world. He looked at everything when he was all done, and he said, it's very good. And you look around the world today, and you say, oh, my, it's, it's a long way from very good. But God has intervened. We fell. We, we, we screwed up his beautiful creation. But God was not going to be defeated by our sin, by our rebellion. He made a way. From the very beginning, he promised that one would come who would crush the head of the serpent who betrayed us, who led us down the garden path. (laughs) (laughs) One would come and crush his head. That the serpent would bruise that one's heel but the victory would belong to that one. That one is Yeshua. That one who came and creation, which uh, we, we, we tarnished and, and brought down through our sin, uh, God has been in the process of redeeming from the very beginning when he talked about that, that prophecy about the, the, the serpent crusher. God has been at work bringing redemption to the world through the calling of Abraham, through uh, the calling of Moses through the uh, organization of the people of Israel through through kings and and through prophets through finally the 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 coming of Yeshua God has been bringing Yeshua salvation redemption to the world and after redemption will come glorification what we read in Isaiah that one day everything will finally be restored and not only restored I would say made even more glorious 
That's where we are headed. That's what we're in the middle of. That's what we want to invite you to be, part of God's story, this beautiful story of creation, fall, redemption, glorification. Do you know Yeshua as your Savior? We invite you to consider him, to listen to God when he says, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts as in the wilderness. Today is the day he's calling you. And if you know Yeshua, then we want to encourage you. How do you know him better? It is through his word, through communing with God, through meditating on his word. God has put the spirit in you for just that thing, that he might commune with you. And then come together as the body of Christ to share in that communion, to partake in that great symbol. And yet more than a symbol, an actual spiritual reconnecting with the head, Yeshua, and with all the members of his body, wherever they are found on this globe, wherever they are found in time, we are being connected through that sacrament. We're so grateful you joined us. We hope you'll come back next week. Uh, you can find us on uh, your favorite podcast platforms. Please share this with your friends. Uh, we are One New Man Ministries, and we thank God for you. We bless you in Jesus' name, and we'll see you next week.